Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. There are a whole lot of reasons to do things to help others, but people who do good in the world also often reap significant benefits health benefits, mental health benefits, higher levels of happiness and self-esteem. This hour, University of Iowa psychologist Barry Schreier will be here to help us understand why doing good can be good for us. And we'll also meet three dedicated volunteers. We'll talk about why they do what they do and what they get out of it. We'd also love to hear from you. Tell us what doing kind acts for other people has meant in your life. Give us a call at 866-780-9. 9100 or send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. In a few minutes, we'll meet Megan Schultheis of Des Moines and Stu Colson of Charles City. But first, Ray Haas is here of Coralville. He is a mentor with Big Brothers Big Sisters. He is an Iowa Valley Habitat for Humanity volunteer. He builds bikes for local youth. He's a blood donor, an active member of his church community, Many other things, too numerous to list. And he was also recently inducted into the Iowa Volunteer Hall of Fame. Ray, welcome. Welcome. Thanks for allowing me to be here. Well, it's wonderful to have you here. And I want to make clear that while we are talking about what you get out of doing good, that I in no way think that any of our guests today are doing any of these things for selfish reasons. But I do want to focus on what it has meant to you in your life. And and I want to go back in time because I know that your commitment to making a positive impact on others in the world and in your life does go back a long time for you. How did this start? Uh, It started back in high school, actually. Um, I was fortunate to get into a program within my student council that was involved in a community development, a community redevelopment program. And then we unfortunately got struck by Hurricane Agnes uh, back in 1972. And uh, so lots of work needed to be done to rehab uh, facilities, to help people um, just clear properties, get muck out houses, do whatever you do when things are flooded and things are yucky. And uh, what I saw in all of that was the joy, um, uh, really the, the heartwarming feeling of helping someone else and knowing that they couldn't do it on their own. I had the ability to help them. My teammates had the ability to help them. And that brought joy to us. But to see the satisfaction and the gain that happened for people we were serving was just totally rewarding for me. You carried this with you into adulthood. And I think a lot of people start volunteering a little later in adulthood because in those in the 20s, their 20s, people are really busy trying to find their place in the world, investing in their careers. But for you, this was something that... that you wanted to do, you knew you wanted to do it right away. In fact, you wrote a personal statement when you were only 23 years old. Tell me about that. I did. Well, first of all, let me back up for just a moment. I was really fortunate to be blessed by good mentors in my in my high school days. Uh, I could easily have become a wayward child because some of my friends were getting into things that were not desirable. I didn't have the greatest home life at that point. And I had mentors who saw some things in me and helped me along the way. 
So when I went off to college, I actually became a big brother when I was a senior in college. Wow. I was a mentor for two uh, two brothers. Uh, they were biological brothers. And so I spent time with them, and that was a very rewarding experience. And then in, when I was in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I believe it was the summer of 78, I met a gentleman named Captain Bill Lewis. At the time, he was the uh, chaplain for the U.S. Naval Academy, and he challenged a group of us to write down what our purpose in life is. You have a mission in your life. Articulate what it is. So I have here with me today, actually, and I carried in my wallet my personal mission statement. And in summary, that mission statement um, asked me or suggests that I would use my God-given talents to make everywhere I go better because I was there. How have you looked for those opportunities through life? What has led you to the different volunteer activities that you engage in? Well, let's look at a couple. We mentioned the blood donation. That one kind of hit me like I was smacked by a two-by-four. My youngest brother, Bob, in 1974 became an amputee. And when I was visiting with him in the hospital, one of the nurses asked me and other members of our fam- my family if we would be interested in becoming blood donors. And I raised my hand immediately. And really against the will of my college cross-country coach at the time, I donated blood. And I've been doing it ever since. So sometimes things search out me. You know, I haven't had to go looking for things. Habitat for Humanity. In 1989, I was part of a, uh, a business fraternity in my MBA program, and our spring break trip took us to uh, Kansas City, where I got involved in building five houses. And I've been building houses now with Habitat for Humanity ever since. And uh, so I've, I've just been in either in the right place at the right time, or I have Uh, been part of an organization that uh, asked me to um, join them for uh, a service work. How do you think about this part of your life? I mean, clearly it's an important part of your identity. It's an important part of who you are. How do you think about it? I think about it as a blessing. Uh, I've been given the ability to help other people. We live in a really broken world. And, uh, I look at it when I, for example, working with Habitat for Humanity overseas or even here with refugee families, and I hear their stories and I see the suffering and the pain and the anguish that they've experienced and gone through, I look at it as though in my life I haven't had bad days. I'm really blessed. We are truly blessed to be where we are, and that's how I look at it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm driven by uh, a, a biblical uh reference. Uh, The Apostle Paul in his uh, letter to the Philippians said, uh, be humble. Don't be conceited. Be humble. Look at the interests of others as you look at the interests of yourself. As a matter of fact, you might want to make the interests of others more important than your own self-interests. And so that drives me. For people who have not been involved in helping those who are in difficult situations. 
It can be easy to, to think about it as a very simple proposition, and in some ways it is, but it can also take a toll when you see the suffering of others, and, and some of it you cannot alleviate. How do you deal with that on a personal level? Uh, sometimes not as well as I should. I, I do personalize things sometimes when I see the struggles that people are encountering or have encountered in their lives. Um, I find others to speak to about it because if I internalize it and I don't let I, I don't let it out, that could be problematic for me as well. So uh, I'm a pretty open person. I, I like to s- socialize and I'll share with uh, with with people. And I have a, a close knit group of people that I can kind of confide in when when I'm struggling with issues. Um, I have a very uh, strong small group Bible study at my church that really helps me a lot in uh, getting things out. I would love for you to reflect for a moment on the people who have come into your life because of your volunteer efforts. That's something we hear again and again, that people make connections that they never would have made in another way. One of the most special ones for me uh, is right here in uh, the area. Um, There's a family in Hills, uh, a Congolese family who uh, had experienced some very difficult times uh, over the course of years, uh, lived in refugee camps in, in Uganda, and uh, some of the children in the family were actually born in the refugee camps. And so we built a house with them, with Habitat for Humanity. And uh, after that, I they wanted a fence. And I said, I think I could help you build a fence. So we build a fence, and we've done a lot of things together. But what's really special for me in that situation is uh, I've attained a title within the family. I'm Papa Ray. Nice. And that is a real, uh, that's a real boost, you know. It's like that's a feather in my cap. I've, I've, I've made it. I, I, uh, I'm f- fully accepted within the family. So you, you've not just gained friends. You've gained family. I have gained family. Yes. We only have a couple of minutes left. What kind of advice for you would you give others who are just starting on this path, who would like to get involved in volunteering? First of all, I would have them take a look at their weekly schedule or monthly schedule. You don't have to volunteer often for it to be beneficial. Um, Look at where you could take an hour or two and say, okay, this is a time I can set aside to help others. I would also encourage individuals to find a buddy or a partner, like an accountability partner, and say, hey, could we do this together? Could we serve free lunch once a month? Could we do something like that? It only takes an hour or an hour and a half. The other thing is I would encourage families to try to volunteer as a unit. I I watch that through my church, and I see kids 8, 9, 10 years old doing things like serving free lunch or maybe a roadside cleanup or something of that sort. And once you get people involved, it becomes sort of ingrained, and then they can build from there. And all of those good feelings that are maybe hard to put a name on, you feel those feelings. It becomes part of the driver, doesn't it? It, it really does. Uh, I, ha- I will say that I have never left a volunteer opportunity feeling as though I wish I hadn't gone there. In all my years, it's always a good feeling to have walked away and say, hey, I helped here today. And 
I'm so grateful that you came here today to talk to us. We're actually taking you away from a volunteer <laughs> opportunity this morning. So yeah, <laughs> tell we'll get, us what you're doing next. We'll get that worked out. I, I'll be going to the uh, Coral Ridge Mall to uh, wrap Christmas presents as a fundraiser for my church. But in the interim, on my way there, I'll be taking the church van to get new tires. <laughs> wow. Ray, thank you so much for coming here, and thanks for all you do. Well, thank you. It's been a blessing. I appreciate it. Ray Haas of Coralville. He's a volunteer in so many ways, a mentor with Big Brothers Big Sisters, Iowa Valley Habitat for Humanity. He's a blood donor, an active member in his church community, and recently inducted into the Iowa Volunteer Hall of Fame. This hour, we're talking about the benefits of doing good. We'd also love to hear from you this hour. Give us a call, 866-780-9100. This is Talk of Iowa. Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion including Above and Beyond Cancer. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we are talking about the benefits of doing good. There are many, many reasons to help others in the world, but this hour we're focusing on Honestly, what we as individuals get out of those actions. We'll meet a couple of more really wonderful volunteers in just a moment. With me right now is Barry Schreier. He is a licensed counseling psychologist and a clinical professor of counseling psychology at the University of Iowa. Barry, welcome. Good morning. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, thank you so much for being here. And uh, it's hard to really categorize all of these possible acts that that we can take, we can make, that will make a positive impact on the world. They could be very small. They could be very large. But when you think about acts of kindness or doing good in the world, how do you think about it? So um, I think very positively about it. I'm glad that this, this is still happening in our world. Um, it's such a phenomenon that there's a, world, a word for it, um, and the word commonly used is altruism. Um, and so listening to Ray earlier, he was describing lots of different types of altruism. And there, as we look at sort of the research that's been done on altruism, take a look, is, are there different types of it and what motivates it and what are the benefits of it? Um, researchers have actually um, identified four different types of altruism. One is what they call genetic altruism, which is the things that one does for one's family or one's closest friends. Um, and then there's what's called reciprocal altruism. And reciprocal altruism is kind of the idea of it's a give and take. Like I do something for you and then you do something for me and then there's sort of this mutual benefit that happens between us. And then there can be sort of group selected altruism is the third kind. And that's when we sort of, we, we pick a group affiliation or there's a particular organization or a particular group of people by identity that I feel a particular connection to and then I engage in my altruism on that. And then there's probably the more controversial one and there's lots of opinion about this one, which is the idea of pure altruism, which is I simply do altruistic acts 
for no benefit to myself necessarily. Simply, I do them simply because I think they're, it's the right and positive thing to do. So those are typically the four broad types of altruism that we see researchers talk about um, in terms of how people engage in these these acts of good deeds. Well, and I know that it's easy to, to be cynical uh, about the reasons that people might choose to do certain things in life. We're going to not be cynical this hour because there are so many people out there doing good things and and really making a difference. But when you talk about reciprocal altruism, I'm struck that even in cases where people don't intend for it to be reciprocal, it often is, isn't it? Yes, it it certainly falls along the lines of, you know, we we get what we give. Um, And the, the offering of good acts and goodwill and the engagement on on sort of the emotion of empathy often just simply stirs that back up in response. I have had a lot of conversations on this show over the years about periods in people's lives when they really struggle. One of those periods is, you know, when people retire, they often lose this sense of purpose that got them out of bed every morning. And there are, of course, many other things that can lead to to periods of feeling lost or periods of depression. And one of the, the pieces of advice that I've heard over and over and over again is to volunteer to get involved, which can seem a little counterintuitive. I'm struggling. I I need help. How is helping others going to help me? But that is a phenomenon that we see again and again. So when people help others, how does it help them? Yeah, such a great question and so important. The research, again, is, is pretty clear that when we engage in acts of empathy, if empathy is the thing that motivates us, we, we see a need. Um, and we feel that need of others, or we see someone struggling and we can feel that struggle, engaging with someone else to help with that feeling, right, to move struggle from su- to success, or to simply relieve a moment of, of feeling down, even if it doesn't solve or cure it, but sort of just to relieve it in the moment, again, often has a reciprocal impact. It's I then, A, I feel that connection, B, the emotion I was feeling with you, where we both were sort of feeling your struggle, we both feel a little bit better about it. And that simply just generates a better sense of personal health, a better sense of well-being. It fosters connection and just has so many positive benefits, not only for the person for whom we might do a good deed with, but for ourselves as well. Let's talk more about connection, because it's often been said that we are experiencing an epidemic of loneliness in this country and possibly around the world because of the way our lives have changed. So volunteering or doing something good also can help with that, right? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, however one does one's relationships, whether that is I'm part of a group or I engage in individual acts or I do something online, if that's how I most feel comfortable doing my relationships, absolutely. We, there are like four basic human needs that we, at foundational level, that we look at. And I work on the University of Iowa campus and students hate when I tell them, like, these are such important things, but they are such important things that you have to eat well. You have to sleep well. You have to have. You have to exercise and move yourself around. And we absolutely, at our foundation, are social creatures. And the importance of connection, however you do that, is is, is foundational to our sense of well-being. Well, and and in so many ways, volunteering is almost a shortcut to connection because a lot of us think, well, how do I make friends? How do I connect with people? How can I cross these boundaries? I have to be so brave. And you do in some cases, but signing up to volunteer may may almost be a way to leap across all of those barriers. A hundred percent. And the, one of the interesting things about volunteering is, you know, 
why do people engage in altruism? Well, often because we have a passion or inspiration for something, or we have, like Ray said, I set a goal, I have sort of a life goal. And so when we engage in those inspirations or we engage in those goals, we're often pursuing passions and interests that we're now sharing with others because those folks are finding themselves to the same thing. And that fosters connection. Um, me engaging the things that I, I find really important to myself and then connecting up with others who are finding the same kind of importance. I'm talking with Barry Schreier, a licensed counseling psychologist and clinical professor of counseling psychology at the University of Iowa. We're talking about the power of doing good, the benefits that we get out of doing kind things, doing good in the world. And Barry, please stay with us. You are also welcome to join the conversation with your comments about how this has played a role in your life. If you are a volunteer, if you have taken action to help others and it's also helped you, we'd love to hear your story. Email talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org or send email to, or no, call us. I already said email. Call us 866-780-9100, 866-780-9100. We're going to meet another volunteer here. Megan Schultheis lives in Des Moines. She is a volunteer and co-chair of the events committee with Des Moines Refugee Support. Hello, Megan. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for being here. And tell me how you got involved with this organization. Well, in... Uh the spring or early 2022, if you remember, there was a lot of press about the refugees who had come to Des Moines after the evacuation of Afghanistan. And um, at that time, I was uh, my two of my children had grad or were on their way to graduating from high school and going to college, and I was used to kind of helping them with their young adulting, and that job was being edged out maybe. And then um, I, I just wanted to help. And so I was talking with a friend who told me about Des Moines Refugee Support and how easy it was to volunteer with them. You'd just go online on Facebook and they had a Facebook page um, that asked people to help. Sometimes it was bringing food to refugee families that were food insecure. Sometimes it was helping move a couch. Um, and so I just started saying yes. And now, almost two years later, I say yes about um, 20 hours a week. Wow. And Megan, I was just talking with Barry about those moments in life where we often struggle. That empty nest moment is also one of those moments where a lot of us start to feel a little lost because our sense of purpose is shifting. So it sounds like in that moment, you found a, a sense of purpose in this that has been really powerful. Can you tell me about some of the early experiences you had volunteering with Des Moines Refugee Support that that really, I guess, got you hooked on this? Sure. Um, one of the first things that I did was I was helping a young family, a woman, um, was able to go to this church, the Redeemer on Hickman, ha was allowing Des Moines Refugee Support to have kind of a store. So people would donate money or items, new, mostly new, um, and it was like a store, and the refugees would come there, and they would be amazed. They could get their teapot, their um, different things like that, um, clothing, uh, bedding, necessities, that kind of thing. And, necessities. And, a few, and a few comforts as and, well. And exactly, and friendly people. And I just watched these women, mostly women, who were organizing this, and I thought, mm, they've got something special here. They have, um, they, they're doing it right. They're they're giving a lot of help 
to these families in the way that they need to be helped. We were talking about empathy a moment ago, too, and I think thinking about how difficult it would be to come to this country with nothing, build a life without necessarily English skills, you dive into a whole new system of school and work and roads and, you know, all of these things that are so new and so overwhelming, how how powerful it is to have friends who are there to say, we can help you with that. What are some of the other ways that you have been helping individuals who are in this situation? There are so many ways that um, people who are new to Des Moines, new to America, need help, um, and they're unsure of how to do things. Um, Things like paperwork. There's so much paperwork. There's mail that comes to them that they don't understand. Sometimes um, they, they don't know how to register for school. A lot of times the women don't drive, and they don't maybe have plans to drive until they get a better understanding of the language, which is completely understanding. But their husbands are working because that's one thing when you become a refugee, you don't have a lot of time to kind of build up self-sufficiency. And so the husbands might be working. The children need to be registered for school. Um, So a lot of those those things I can help with. I can help them get to register their their kids. I can help them if they're out of Tylenol and they just need somebody to drop off um, some Tylenol. Um, Household items. The preschool, that's what I'm doing right now is I'm doing spending a lot of time uh, taking four different girls to preschool most days. And um, as far as there are three of them that have hardly missed any preschool wow. so far. And you think about when families are in disarray or don't have – that might be something that they can't do. And I'm able to make sure that those little – those girls are going to preschool every day. So you, I'm sure you can see how you are helping to change the lives of the individuals that you're helping. How has this changed your life? Um, Well, I think about them a lot. (laughs) I think about the families a lot, um, which is um, both good and bad. You know, I'm I'm worried about them sometimes. There was a woman who um, I helped get a job. I was really excited about it, and I worried all weekend. Did she make it there? Did she? Did the manager understand that she can't speak English, but she's a good worker? You know, I I think about them a lot, um, but it it brings me a lot of joy. I think in your promo you said something about helpers high, and yeah. I definitely have that helpers high after something good has happened um, with the families that I help. What advice would you give to others who who maybe would like to help out but just haven't been able to take that leap? Well, I'd say just just go. Just the first thing is to show up. And no matter what that is, whether you go to, if you're the kind of person that likes to go to a fundraiser, just go to a fundraiser and find out what an organization is about. Maybe it aligns with something that you're interested in or something that you want to make a difference in. Um, Or find an organization that is hosting an event that is giving away things, the Des Moines Refugee Support. They do a back-to-school event where hundreds of people in need, come and receive back-to-school things. They just did a Santa's ride where they hand out toys and clothes and blankets and things at um, many of the apartment buildings and locations where refugees live. Um, Those kind of things are one and done. And if you don't like it, that's okay. Um, But 
you you can do that. And all of that for doing refugee support anyway is online. It's pretty easy to just just show up. And then if you want to do something more, um, that that's great, too. Megan, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you. Megan Schultheis of Des Moines. She works with Des Moines Refugee Support. You can find out more about their organization on Facebook. They have a very active Facebook page. Just search for Des Moines Refugee Support. With me still is Barry Schreier of the University of Iowa. And Barry, listening to Megan's story, I mean, she she covered so many of the things that we were talking about. She was at a, a point of transition in her life. She made these connections. She found that she could really make a difference and has found so much satisfaction in that. I, I can imagine that, that as a counselor, you're like, that, that's exactly what I would hope someone would get out of the situation. That's exactly what I hope somebody would get out of that situation. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really wonderful story. In fact, even probably for you as well as for me, just sitting and listening to her talk, it felt good. And it also feels like empower empowerment. Do you feel that way as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And again, the research on just the the positive outcomes, obviously for the person who's in receipt of one's good deeds, but just the the payback for myself in doing those good deeds is positive. And then for all the people that are connected to me, when I feel good, it helps them feel good as well. And there's just as bottomless positive connotations for engaging in this. And as she said, you know, there can be some downsides, which is now I feel emotionally connected and I don't, you know, I, I, I hope everyone is doing as well as they possibly can. But the, the positive benefits more typically than not far outweigh any of the downsides of these things. There, There is a, a possibility of burning out. There is a possibility of becoming overwhelmed by the needs of others. Of what kind of advice do you have about that? Because that's very real. I know so many people who've been through that. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. And Ray spoke about that earlier, which I thought was brilliantly stated, which is, you know, he seeks his, out, he seeks his own outlets. Um, and for the secondary trauma that sort of comes from working with people who have experienced a lot of upheaval um, or or, um, or interruption in their lives can have emotional impact on us as we watch their struggle and try to sort of bring our own resilience to help them, um, then I need to make sure that I'm also engaging in those things that help me refill my resilience. Because resilience is not a bottomless resource. And so we often have to do those things. And so Ray seeking his own outlet and taking time away is such a is such a great idea. So there are lots of ways that one can take care of oneself while doing this kind of work. Do you have any advice for, for how to think about giving aid to others? Because I, I know that some people do bristle a little bit about that and say, well, we don't want somebody's pity. Um, when you approach kindness, do you have any words of caution? And we have to take a break here in a moment so you can start this answer. We may get back to it. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, we have to be careful to do positive things with folks rather than at them or to them um, and making sure, you know, one of the things we have to keep in mind is that the idea of altruism is very culturally bound. Um, And so we sometimes will look at Eastern cultures where somebody does a really good thing for someone and then they do something in return. And we in the West might not entirely understand that that's just simply expected. When someone does from something for you, it's expected that you will do something back. And We're and probably valuable to them to be able to do that, too. We will take this break. We'll talk more about this in a moment. I'm talking with Barry Schreier, licensed counseling psychologist and clinical professor of counseling psychology at the University of Iowa. This is Talk of Iowa.
This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we are talking about the power of doing good. There are so many reasons to do good in the world, but this hour, we're focusing on what you might get out of it. If you engage in acts of kindness, volunteer, or make a commitment to doing good in the world. We'll meet another volunteer in just a moment, but with me right now is Barry Schreier, licensed clinical psychologist, or licensed counseling psychologist and clinical Mm -hmm. professor of counseling at the University of Iowa. And Barry, I I asked you a long question and gave you just a brief period of time to answer it (laughs) a few minutes ago, but we were talking about the, the kind of approach that you need to take to someone when you are helping them to make sure that you are helping them in a, a sensitive, perhaps culturally sensitive way yep. and and not thinking about yourself as a, a savior, but connecting as a human being. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's just as well said as I could say it, um, to be sure that we're doing things with people in the way that people really want that kind of help. Um, and sometimes we will think of altruistic acts of like pointing out sort of engaging in expressions of gratitude and thanking people publicly. And some people simply just don't like that kind of altruism. And so again, being very thoughtful about how we work with people um, to to be as supportive as possible from their frame of reference rather than simply from ours. Well, and thinking about some of the things that, that Megan was talking about, uh, you know, often people who are the recipients of kindness may not have much to give back, but they'll want to give something Allowing a person to do something kind for you can be an act of kindness too, can't it? Absolutely. And again, in certain cultures, especially in more Eastern-oriented cultures, there is there is simply expectation that if somebody does something for you, we're just culturally expected to do something back. Um, and so there can be a grace in even if somebody has such so little in their lives um, that that they want to give you something of theirs. It's so important um, to sort of step away from Western mores about that and be accepting of whatever is, is offered back. Let's go to the phones. Julie is on the line in Washington. <laughs> Hi, Julie. Hi. Hi, what's your story? Well, my husband had Parkinson's disease and he um, passed away from complications of that in 2021. And I was always his advocate, but after he passed away, it just seemed like a natural thing for me to do, to take what I learned and help other people because that's just the way that I take something bad and turn it around. And so I've been doing a lot of work with the um, National Parkinson's Foundation, and I serve on a a Parkinson's board for the Heartland. I do work with local support groups. I took training to be an aware and care ambassador and can train people in um, using a hospital care kit to make hospital stays safer. Um, I have a local support group. I advocate for people that are care partners, um, and it all really gives back to me more than I give to them. Julie, I'm so sorry for your loss, but I mean, that that's extraordinary what you've been able to do. Tell me just a little bit more about how it makes you feel. It sounds like an opportunity to share hard-won knowledge, but also a, a moment where you can take control of a situation that probably felt so out of control for so long. Yes, you know, there is nothing, um, there was nothing I could do to make his Parkinson's go away. 
Um, there's nothing I can do to bring him back. And I can't save anybody else, but I certainly can help make their journey easier along the way. And I'm a retired teacher and, um, and a lifelong learner, and so I've always liked sharing what I know with others, and um, it just makes me feel so good. Julie, thank you so much for sharing that with us today. And and Barry, Julie's story makes me think about how she looked within herself and saw this knowledge that she had to share with others. That can be an important part of this journey to doing good as well, recognizing a gift that you have to share. You bet, yeah. And often what happens is we will step into situations where we really don't have the experience of the people that we're helping, um, which is no reason not to be involved. But when we have walked a mile in someone's shoes and then we want to lean in um, to help those who will be also walking that mile, it can give us even a, a greater depth of understanding and ability to be helpful. Barry Schreier is a clinical professor of counseling psychology at the University of Iowa. Stay with us again, Barry. It's time to meet our final volunteer of the day. And also, you're welcome to share your story. Give us a call, 866-780-9100. Stu Colson is here now. He lives in Charles City, and he's a retired school counselor. But in his retirement, he's become the disaster mental health manager for the American Red Cross Nebraska, Iowa region. Stu, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chesty. Uh, so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for what you do as well. And and give us just briefly an idea. I mean, there are disasters that happen locally and all over the world. And having mental health professionals available to help out with those is so valuable. Tell me just a little bit about what you do. Absolutely. And, and you know, I want to say the speakers that you had are so, so good. <laughs> There's been such good things said on here about what kindness does for people and, uh, and, and what's going on in the world. So, yes, uh, I, I am, uh, I'm, I'm the uh, disaster mental health lead for uh, the Iowa-Nebraska region of Red Cross. And uh, <clears throat> I work with, uh, in, in this region, I work with about 15 other disaster mental health volunteers uh, that are uh, all certified counselors uh, that work with Red Cross uh, I, what was the rest of the question that you asked me? Well, <laughs> just, just to tell us a little bit about about what you do, because you, you are bringing yeah. mental health professionals from all over together to help others, right? Yeah, we are. Uh, Raycross is a worldwide organization, and we work worldwide. Uh, obviously, a lot of the work that I do is in the United States uh, and uh, Canada. And uh, we, we uh, the, the mission of Red Cross is to alleviate human suffering in the face of emergency. Uh, That's as profound as as anything can get or any any organization that I've ever worked with, as clear cut as as far as the mission is concerned. Uh, And and that's what we do. We go into emergency situations, usually chaotic situations, and we bring order to the chaos. We try to, uh, that's our goal. And uh, and we we seek out uh, the folks that are hurt, that are suffering, that are, that are affected by uh, whatever the emergency might be, whether it's a tornado, flood, uh, hurricane, uh, fire, uh, and and we find out what they need and we try to assist them with that. In in my particular line, I, I assist specifically with the mental health needs of folks, which are are are, are great in faces of disaster. Uh, so, uh, does that tell you kind of? What yeah, I do? and and so. Uh, <laughs> 
you've been to, to places where some really terrible things have happened. Mm-hmm. I know recently you were in Maui after the terrible, terrible uh, yeah. disaster there. And so helping people who've lost everything, who are at this terrible moment of crisis, helping them, I'm sure, feels empowering and powerful. But also you're seeing so much suffering. How do you cope with that? Oh, good question. How do I cope? Uh, uh, because we spend, the, the, the DMH team spends so much time helping folks to cope with the disaster that sometimes we really do have to reflect back on ourselves and say, now how do I cope with, with what's going on? Uh, part, of, part of my duty also, I should say, is, is working with Red Cross volunteers, the whole gamut of Red Cross volunteers. There are hundreds of volunteers that aren't, that aren't mental health workers in Red Cross that work with shelters and, and feeding and logistics and uh, helping people recover in different ways, finding places to live. Uh, how to go on with their lives, how to re- how to recover, all the things that they've lost. When and, and it's it's overwhelming sometimes to to recognize that, that you know you're working with a person that has lost everything except their lives. And uh, and a lot of the times, what we have to do is to help them to understand that the things that they do have. Um, you you were a school counselor so i mean you helped people professionally for for a lifetime yeah. before helping people i mean really in this professional capacity as a volunteer as well mm-hmm. this is obviously important to you it's an important part of your identity how do you think about it oh it is i, I think uh, i think the 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 35 years that i spent in school counseling actually prepared me for this job of volunteering, uh, I, I in, in school I spent a lot of time in school, twenty years, uh, teaching a course called peer helping, where I I worked with kids, uh, mostly middle school and high school, and teaching a class called peer helping, where uh, we 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 meet together and we talk about the skills involved in helping other people, and what that's all about, what it entails. What it uh, what it does for the world, what it does for for our community, uh, and what it does for ourselves. So th- so the very idea of of acts of kindness were were the were the forefront of that of that program, and I learned so much in in uh, teaching that course that I I think it prepared me for this. I started I actually started with the Red Cross about nine years before I retired from from school. So. I was able to network those two things together. Right. I started with Red Cross uh, right after my third child had uh, had uh, graduated from high school. Interesting. And, that uh, that's that's the same time period we were just talking about with Megan. That yeah, moment where yeah. the the nest empties. Yeah, yeah, and and it, and it was it wasn't like I sought out Red Cross. Red Cross called me at my desk in my office and said, uh, "Stu, could you help us with this?" Uh, little thing we're having in in Louisiana called Katrina. Mm. Remember Katrina? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah. How can I help? Because I really didn't know much about Red Cross at the time. And uh, and from that time, I've learned so much about Red Cross and uh, what the organization does and and uh, how it operates and and its, uh, its its philosophies and missions and things. And it's it's uh, it's just overwhelming. Uh, it's it's an organization that is based. I, I, you know, I, I, it sounds so simple to say, but it's an organization that's based on acts of kindness. Uh, uh, Red Cross, and I, I, I don't want to sound like it's, 
you know, it's it's just amazing. Uh, it's an organization that seeks out people that are hurting and says, how can we help? What can we do? And, what do you feel? That's, that's what that's what drew me in. Yeah. What do you feel you've gotten out of your relationship with the Red Cross and and all of these experiences you've had? Well, I think it's I think it's a lot of the things like the things that Barry talked about. Uh, uh, my empathy, my compassion, my my skill set, my skill set for helping. Uh, every time I work with uh, a family in an emergency situation, I learn from them. And, uh, and and I become, I think, better at what I do, better at understanding the needs of people. Uh, and, and acts of kindness, uh, helping people helps, uh, helps the helper so much in, uh, in their own life, in your relationships, in your, in your, uh, your feelings about yourself, uh, in, uh, in your compassion, uh, in your empathy. In your security, you know, security is an important thing. It it, it does something uh, tremendously for me uh, to know that there are people out there helping. You know, uh, uh, when I, I just last week I was working with a family that we were standing outside uh, their house as it burned, mm. and uh, and you know that they would say to me. Uh, I'm so. They, they actually said to me, "I'm so sorry that you had to take your afternoon to, to come over and help us." Oh wow! And uh, you know, it, it's 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 really powerful things like that that uh, that people say and and makes me realize. And I told them, I said, you know, tomorrow I could have a fire, and it, it's good for me to know that people will do this. Some somebody would help me. Uh, there's a lot of security. In working with people, and I work with hundreds of people in Red Cross that that just uh, do that. They they just do it. They they're they're selfless. Uh, they they uh, just give and give and give. Uh, and uh, and and we know that they're there. We know that we'll get help. There's a and there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of good that comes from that. I didn't get into Red Cross. I don't work with Red Cross uh, to get anything out of it. But man, I get so much. I get so much from it. It's, uh, it's amazing. Stu, thank you so much for talking with us today. Yeah. Stu Colson of Charles City. He's a retired school counselor. He is also the disaster mental health manager for the American Red Cross Nebraska Iowa region. We have only a couple of minutes left. Barry, Barry Schreier is, is still here with me. He is a licensed counseling psychologist and clinical professor of counseling psychology at the University of Iowa. And Barry, listening to Stu, it strikes me that something else that that we get out of volunteering is it broadens our world. It helps us understand the world in a new way, and, and it can help us get outside of, of our own minds. Yeah, 100%. Uh, any of those connections we have often, you know, whatever relationships we create will broaden our connections and help us learn and grow and engaging in one's, com- as Stu said, you know, he, he named empathy and compassion. And so if you lean into those sort of deeply set emotional places within ourselves when connecting with others. We, we are simply, in those moments, very open to receiving our the experiences of others. And with only a minute left, we don't have time really to uh, delve into the power of gratitude. But I suspect that 
doing good for others also helps to deepen our sense of gratitude for the lives we live. For sure. Um, it gives us perspective and we can sort of get sometimes caught in our own information channels and our, compa- our, our, our gratitude can get, can get narrowed. And the offering of gratitude is also an act of kindness. Offering gratitude to someone helps boost their day and they may offer gratitude back to you that they may not have if you had not done it first. And that helps boost our day. And again, as you noted, smartly, it, it increases our perspectives. We only have about 30 seconds left. Do you have advice for somebody who, who maybe was listening to this and think, I, I should give this a try? How do you get started? Yep. So each each one of our speakers, Megan, Stu, and um, Ray. Um, our first, yep. Ray, our first speaker, all said, it's just a simple act. Uh, there are volunteer organizations within the state, within each of our communities, and it's simply going and doing your research online and finding potentially to start the simplest way to volunteer and then deciding whether you like that or not and continuing on to deepen your relationship with those organizations. Barry, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for the opportunity. Barry Schreier is a licensed counseling psychologist and a clinical professor of counseling psychology at the University of Iowa. This hour, we've been talking about the power of doing good and what we get out of it. Talk of Iowa is a production of IPR News. The show is produced by Samantha McIntosh, Caitlin Troutman, and Danny Gear. I'm Charity Nebbe. This is Talk of Iowa.